today, you have a chance to become a premium member of the podcast. Click one of the premium membership levels and you can get everything from a free book by an ag arts artist to free postcards to extra bonus interviews to the chance to have a piece of writing critiqued by me and a free workshop or reading by Mary Swander. So go to those show notes, scroll down and click to become a premium member. Thank you so much for your support. Oma makes Ferenicki dough with flour, eggs, vegetable oil, and salt. She rolls it out on the floured table and hands me a flour-rimmed glass to cut the thin dough into rounds. We fold each round of dough over a spoonful of cherries, pinching the ends firmly. As we make the dumplings, my grandmother, unlike my mother, tells me stories about her life in Ukraine. Today we're featuring stories from one of our listeners, Annette Machuka Havland from Muscatine, Iowa, who learned to bake and cook with her Ukrainian Oma, or grandmother. Easter, 1974. The smell of yeasty dough carries me back to my grandmother's home in Montclair, New Jersey. My sister and I enter through the back door and walk into the living room to find our Baba sitting in her red velvet wing back chair. A lighted magnifying glass illuminates a needlepoint canvas stretched on a wooden stand. Baba wears a simple, short-sleeved navy blue dress over her stocky frame. A paisley kerchief covers her head. Her long white hair is gathered in a loose bun. Secured by a silk cord, her silver-framed eyeglasses rest on her ample bosom. She raises her beaming face to receive our greeting a kiss on each soft, rosy cheek. Baba rises from her chair, and we follow her into the kitchen. She opens the window and pours a generous handful of black sunflower seeds onto the glossy white sill. Sasha! Sasha! She calls in the direction of an evergreen. Soon the song of a brilliant cardinal answers, and he perches at the open window to enjoy his meal and Baba's praise. Luba, Luba, Patashechko. Her voice sings just as brightly as her dear little bird. Once her bird flies away, Baba closes the window and turns her attention to the sweet dough into which she has folded plump golden raisins and waited for it to double in size. A warm and tangy scent emanates from the cloth-covered bowl. 
Baba turns the shiny dough out onto the floured table, divides it evenly, slides the loaves into greased and floured coffee cans, and brushes the tops with egg wash. Into the oven go the paska, the traditional bread made to celebrate the Ukrainian Orthodox Easter. Once the domes of baked bread have cooled, Baba decorates each top with royal icing, rainbow nonpareils, and an XB in bold red letters. When I ask Baba what the initials X and B stand for, she chuckles softly, looks at me with her icy blue eyes, and explains that the Cyrillic letters H and V stand for Christos Voskres, which means Christ is risen. My sister and I stumble over the traditional response to this Easter greeting. Vo istinu voskres, vo istinu voskres. Indeed, he is risen. We fill the woven basket we will bring to church for the midnight liturgy. Hard-boiled eggs, dyed golden brown, and etched with simple geometric patterns. Kielbasa, salt pork, cheeses, and the pasca. Baba covers these delicacies with a long white embroidered cloth. Baba has changed into a lavender dress, a bright floral kerchief tied around her head. Her lilac eau de cologne wafts through the air as we make our way into the candlelit church. My senses fill with incense, chanting, icons in gilded frames. Parishioners stand, women with heads covered on one side of the church, men with hats in their hands on the opposite side. When the choir chants, Hospodi pomiloi, Lord have mercy, Baba crosses herself three times, slowly bending on sturdy legs to touch the floor. Returning to Baba's house after the hours-long service, Baba tucks my sister and me into a warm, downy feather bed. Lace curtains billow in a gentle breeze. Soon uncles, aunts, and cousins will join Baba in breaking her Lenten fast. We will come together around a table adorned with vases filled with daffodils, forsythia, and pussy willows to enjoy a feast of roasted lamb, kielbasa, salt pork cheeses, and hard-boiled eggs, and pasca. But now my sister and I fall gently to sleep as birds begin to wake. The tick-tock of the grandfather clock marks time with the rising dawn chorus.
Christmas, I attended the Amish one-room school program. A chorus of young voices arose from the basement steps, the notes pure and clear. Thirteen Amish children and their teacher, who couldn't have been more than 18 years old, wound through the meeting room. Each child carried a single white candle, the light glowing in their hands, with angels bending toward the earth. The candles were snuffed, the lanterns relit, and the children went into a sing-song rhyming recitation of a poem dedicated to Grandma. Just one Grandma? I thought. There have to be others here. The room was packed with older women, their shawls draped over their shoulders, their white hair pulled back into buns. But when the poem was finished, just one Grandma, or a gross mommy, stood up and bowed. Then it clicked. I realized that she was the ancestor of all the children in the room, these siblings and cousins smiling out at us with the same grin that swept across the old woman's face. Baba, Oma, Nana, Mima, Bubby, Abuela, Granny, Gram, Gross Mommy, whatever we call her, wherever she lives, in the Ukraine or in Buggyland, we know that she has a unique relationship to her grandchildren. The Hallmark card version of Grandma is a kind, nurturing older woman who bakes and sews and dotes on her offspring. The Amish gross mommies that I have known do all of the above with flair and finesse. They may have four pies baking in the oven at the same time they are making clothes at the treadle sewing machine, all the while they are keeping an eye on a grandchild crawling across the floor. But Amish gross mommies are more than the stereotype. They are the reservoirs of knowledge, of history, and culture. They know how to speak Dutch, the Amish-German dialect, and have passed it down to at least two generations. They know how to sew on that treadle machine, keeping their families closed. They know the rules, how Amish are supposed to dress, act, observe the Sabbath, and holidays. They know how to manage a large family and farm, keep the books, and make an income on the side selling baked goods, produce, eggs, quilts, rugs, soap, and seedlings. They know the birthdays and favorite foods of their husband and children, but they may lose track when it comes to their grandchildren. You have 70 grandchildren, I asked my neighbor Clara one day. Do you even know all their names? I know the grandchildren who live here, she replied, but not the 140 great-grandchildren, no. But she can remember who lived where, when, how the land has changed, where the groves and marshes used to be, where the main road was paved and when, and who has owned which farm for at least 100 years, who went to which one-room school, and, of course, who married whom. The Amish gross mommies have thousands of recipes in their heads. Whenever I am stumped on a cooking problem, I turn to one of the neighboring gross mommies. When I was younger, I struggled and struggled to make a good sauerkraut. This is supposed to be easy, I told myself, but my batch just rotted, a stinky mess. So it was a short bike ride down the road to ask Clara, the gross mommy, for advice. You have to rub the salt into the cabbage, she advised. Really massage it in. 
Next batch. Perfect. The golden shredded delight smelled fresh and tasted tangy with every bite. My sauerkraut was fabulous, I told Clara, really delicious. Yes, we enjoy ours too, Clara said. We like it on pizza. Pizza may be nice, but donuts are the real Amish delicacy. One day on my daily walk down the road, Sarah, another gross mommy, called to me from her house where she ran a daycare. We just made glazed donuts, Sarah said. Would you like one? Inside the kitchen, the air warm, the windows steamed, were five small children, their faces smeared with sugar. The children watched Sarah roll out the dough, then cut the donuts with the rim of a wide-mouthed mason jar, poking a hole in the center with an object that looked like a large thimble. The children set the cut donuts on a baking sheet, Sarah heating the oil. Once the donuts were fried, cooked, and glazed, and cooled, the children wrapped up one for me in a napkin, then moved on to the next activity, slipping into the living room where they were each embroidering samplers. Most of the children had gone through the whole alphabet with straight, tiny stitches and bright, decorative colors of thread. One after another, the children approached me, seeking my approval for their needlework. I nodded silently. Sarah spoke Dutch to the children, and easily and comfortably, they fell into the language. Wow, I thought to myself, back on the road, not your usual daycare. English children learning to speak German, no blaring TV, no crying or whining, just the steady presence of a gross mommy passing on her skills and the wisdom she holds in both her body and mind. I tucked my donut into my pocket and picked up my pace down the snowy gravel road. Today on my walk down that same road, I thought of the video I'd seen on the internet this morning of the grandmother in Ukraine, a babushka pulled tightly over her head, protecting her from the cold weather and the blast of the missiles crashing into apartment buildings all around her. I imagined that she had been driven out of her home, hadn't eaten for at least a day, and had decided not to head to the train station and flee her country. Instead, she joined a group of others who took to the streets and in an all-out effort of protest stood in front of an approaching Russian tank. Her body, filled with wisdom, became a blockade, the knot at the end of the thread that says, stop, no more. Grandmothers, omas, or gross mommies are the teachers, the brave souls, the keepers of our cultures. Some are heroic, like those in Ukraine. Others assume a quieter role, like those in Buggyland. Both gather threads and show us how to stitch our lives together again. They give us the recipes for bread or dumplings, donuts or sauerkraut. They teach patience. We wait for the rising dough. We learn to understand the slow process of fermentation. But they also teach action. We witness a brave act of nonviolent resistance in Ukraine. We honor that act 
in a buggy land community opposed to all war. Angels are bending near the earth. Omas and grouse mommies stand up and take a bow. And now, back to Annette. Cherry Varenike. The branches of our cherry tree, so heavy this spring with vivid white blossoms, now bend under the weight of plump, rose-blushing cherries. I climb a sturdy stepladder up into the canopy. My grandmother has tied a clothesline cord around the handles of a stock pot. At the top of the ladder, I drape the cord over my head. With the pot hanging just below my chest, I have both hands free for picking fruit and sampling a few cherries. Their firm yellow flesh is tangy. Even with all my sampling, it doesn't take long to fill the pot. I climb down the ladder and carry my harvest up a winding staircase to the second-floor apartment of my parents' home. Standing over a steaming mixture on the stove, my grandmother pushes her dark cat-eye glasses up to the bridge of her nose. Oma will strain the cooked cherries through cheesecloth into glass milk bottles. My siblings and I will freeze some of the juice in metal ice cube trays. All summer long, after full days of softball, bike riding, and roller skating, we will quench our thirst with bright cherry slushies. I carry the latest harvest over to the sink and fill the pot with cold water, watching the fruit bob and turn. After a thorough rinsing, we stem the fruit and place them in a large pink Pyrex bowl. Oma makes Vereniki dough with flour, eggs, vegetable oil, and salt. She rolls it out on the floured table and hands me a flour-rimmed glass to cut the thin dough into rounds. We fold each round of dough over a spoonful of cherries, pinching the ends firmly. As we make the dumplings, my grandmother, unlike my mother, tells me stories about her life in Ukraine. When Oma was 17, my grandfather came to visit family in Neudanzig, a German village near the Black Sea in southern Ukraine. One day, my grandfather, a shipbuilder who was eight years her senior, came to the house and spoke with her father. Even though my grandmother had older sisters, my grandfather said he was impressed with her and felt sure she would make a good wife and mother. The morning after our wedding, Oma recalls, I woke early, in the dark, to prepare breakfast for my husband. I tried to boil eggs, 
but no matter how long I cooked them, they wouldn't get any softer. Chuckling to herself, Oma rises from her chair and moves to the stove with the platter of dumplings. She adds them one at a time into a pot of simmering water. When I heard your grandfather coming down the stairs, I sat down at the table and hid my face in my apron. Fishing out the dumplings, she sets them on a cloth to drain. But I needn't have worried. Here, Oma takes both of my hands into her own. She brings her face close to mine. Your grandfather took both of my hands into his own, and he said, Come, let us make breakfast together. She smiles wistfully and squeezes my hands. I squeeze hers back before she lets go. Oma pours nutty brown butter over a plateful of vareniki. She sprinkles cane sugar on top and sets the dumplings in front of me. As I bring the first forkful to my mouth, she kisses me three times on the head. about gross mummies in Free Martin Town? What larger roles they play? Why the Amish are against war? Any question at all? Go to our website, www.agarts.org, and ask our own gross mommy, Ruby, a question. Enter the Ask Ruby contest and win $200 and a subscription to Plain Interest. Ask your question directly into SpeakPipe on the website, followed by your name. The deadline? April Fool's Day. We were produced by Rick Brewer of Brouhaha Audio Production and had the help of Colton Anderson, our intern from Central College. We had the support of the Werner Ellithorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation and the Catlio Levine Fund, which also helps fund our farm-to-artist residencies. We welcome your support. Like and follow us at Facebook and Instagram. Become a premium member. Or go to our website at agarts.org, A-G-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G, and hit that red Donate button. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you next time. Ha ha.